want to invite you to stand to your feet. We're going to read our scripture together again this morning. These are the words of Jesus Christ from the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard them read. I want you to hear them from your own voice and the voices of others around you. They'll be on the screen and we'll read them together in unison. Our scripture reading today is from Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the living word of God for us today. Father, as we hear the words of Jesus this morning, would you show us what it means to follow him and may we receive these words as words of life. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, we're a few weeks into this series, and let me just recap uh, where we've been so far. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is literally turning the world upside down, or, or rather, as we've said, he's actually turning it right side up. And so for all of us that are kind of used to or accustomed to living in the world as it is, the sermon is uh, it's a little bit uh, disorienting. It's a bit bewildering, countercultural. It begs this question, is Jesus serious? So in the first part of the sermon, the part that we call the Beatitudes, which is where we spent the last two weeks, Jesus describes the kind of people who are actually the blessed ones. And that doesn't just mean, you know, the religious ones. It means those who are well off, those who are the ones who are flourishing in this world, in this kingdom that Jesus is bringing in. So he said the blessed ones are not who you'd expect. They're the poor in spirit. They're the mourners, the meek, the merciful, the peacemakers, the persecuted. This is the Beatitudes. And just a reminder, because it really matters for our text that we just read, the ones that Jesus is speaking to, that he's, his audience, literally his audience of this message, are the ones that he's describing. These were the rejects of society in many ways. These were not the people with the power and the cultural influence. The ones that Jesus particularly called were these poor in spirit ones. And right at the end of the Beatitudes, so the text that Lloyd taught last week, and is particularly in verses 11 to 12, he's telling these followers of his, these lowly in spirit, meek, merciful ones, he's saying, listen, this is not going to be easy. In fact, you're going to be persecuted because you're following me. You're going to be persecuted for my sake. And when that happens, that's actually a form of its own blessing. That's, you're, you're actually well off when you're in that place. And again, takes us back to what do you mean? How can this be? This is upside down, et cetera, et cetera. Now we get to these six verses this morning, the ones we've read, and they're really important to the flow of the whole sermon because they're actually the bridge from the Beatitudes to everything that comes next. So if you understand today's text, today's message, it's going to help you as we walk through this the rest of the way. I think it'll all kind of click in and lock in a little bit more. The other reason this passage is so important, I was thinking about this this week, it answers one of the most relevant questions that I think most of us are feeling right now. And the question is this, where do we as Christians fit in with the world around us anymore? Like, how do we fit? Where's our place in the world and the reason I think this is on all of our minds is we're in the middle of a massive cultural transition 
from a, a, a modern area where, where Christianity was sort of the dominant cultural influence, at least in the West, to a postmodern era where Christianity is no longer the dominant voice. And so it's, it's creating, for all of us that take our faith seriously, it's creating a sense of disequilibrium. It's like, where do I fit? What's my place? And how do I engage this new culture? Am I to fight it? Am I to assimilate with it? Or am I to retreat from it? And if you felt any of these things, you're going to get an answer to this this morning. It's not necessarily an easy answer, but I hope that through the teaching this morning, we're able to make the words of Jesus and the message of Jesus clear because it is so relevant to our time and our place. So here's how Jesus approaches this question of, of what is our place in the world as followers of Jesus and in a, in a culture and a society that, that, that doesn't necessarily fit what we want. His answer is uh, two images, two word pictures. They say a picture creates a thousand words. A picture paints a thousand words and Jesus is gonna give us 2,000 Two pictures this morning. He says, you are salt and you are light. That's how you are to live. Live as salt of the earth, live as light of the world. Jesus is saying, have those two images in your mind. And that's our text this morning. Now, we can't stop there. You know, I'm tempted to say, there it is. Let us pray and be done. I can't do that because there's so much packed into those two metaphors. It's what I love about Jesus. He's constantly using stories and metaphors and images and, and just common things in the world around us. And then if you really dig in, you start seeing these layers of them. And it's one of the things that makes him so brilliant. So in order for us to understand what Jesus is really going after and then applying it to our culture in our moment in time, we have to unpack what this would have meant in that culture, in that moment in time. Start there and then we apply it to our lives. That's what expositional teaching is. So in order to understand what it meant in that culture, we have to talk about something that we've talked about before, but we need to go a little bit deeper this morning. And that's the concept of the kingdom of God. Because if you understand what Jesus meant when he talked about the kingdom of God, which is the theme of the whole sermon, you're gonna to start to understand a lot more what it means to be salt and light in our world. So let me give you an illustration that I came across recently that I thought, oh my goodness, this is gonna be, I, I think, so helpful at Fellowship as we walk through the Sermon on the Mount. This comes from the Bible Project. We've shown some of their videos before. This isn't a video, it's just an illustration. And it's really helped me, and I think it'll help you understand the kingdom of God. So here it is. We'll put it on the screen, if we can do that. I want you to think about heaven and earth as two separate circles. You see, on the left you have heaven, on the right you have earth. Now the way that we typically think about this is we think about heaven is sort of uh, what, we'll, what I'll call God space. It's where God dwells primarily. Of course, he's everywhere, but primarily that's where his throne is. You kind of see the throne there in the drawing. And that means earth is sort of human space. Now, you know, we know in our theology there's more to it than that. But typically, broad brushing here, this is kind of the way we think about it. You got heaven where God is, you got earth where humans are. And for the most part, those two things do not overlap. Now, I want you to think about Jesus Jesus, if you think about it this way, came to the earth as God, fully God, fully man, and he did not come just to rescue people from earth and get them into heaven. That's not primarily why Jesus came. He actually came for something more glorious than that. I wanna show you what Jesus did, you see. Jesus created an overlap. 
if you think about it that way. The space where heaven and earth overlap is the person of Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. The good news he started announcing was not good news. When you die, you can leave this earth and come into God's space, heaven. No, no, no. The good news Jesus announces, the first words out of his mouth and his teaching is, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven has come near is another way that you can translate that. So here's how you can understand the kingdom. And of course, sometimes we call it the kingdom of God, sometimes kingdom of heaven. The kingdom is this space where God's space and human space overlap. So wherever Jesus is, the kingdom is. And so what this looked like, that, that overlapping space, what that looked like in the time of Jesus was it looked like sinners being forgiven, diseases being healed, overlooked people being noticed and taken care of, demons cast out, storms calmed, food being multiplied. It was an explosion of life. In a sense, Jesus brought heaven, brought God's space onto our planet. And really what he was doing was offering a preview of what is still to come. Because let me show you where all of this is heading. This is the final answer. I need to clear that off. There it is. Oops. Go back one more if you can, Joe. Go, go to the overlap slide if we can, where it shows them both together. So the end goal where all this is going is heaven and earth combined. We'll see if we can get that back up in a minute. Where God's space and human space fully overlap. You can picture what that would look like. Now, let me read this to you from Revelation 21, two to four. John, the vision of what's what to come, he says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall be mourning or crying or pain for the former things have passed away. So the merging of heaven and earth is our future. And so when Jesus proclaims a kingdom, he's saying that's what's coming when God's will will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. The two will be one. And it's called in the scripture a new heaven and a new earth. And if you notice the image in Revelation is of the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from the heavens and resting on the earth. And it says God's dwelling will be with man. That's where it's all going, but we're not there yet. Where we are right now is still in this space. And again, just to remind you what this is, the kingdom is at hand. It is here. Now, last thing on this illustration, with, here, this is where the salt and light comes in. What Jesus is saying to his disciples is saying, he's saying, I want you to live as kingdom people, the, the, the purple, royal kind of people on the earth. And you're going to do that by being salt. Okay, that's just supposed to be salt. And you're going to do that by being light. Salt and light on the earth. You are to take the kingdom principles, the kingdom values, life in the kingdom, and you are to represent it. You are to give people a taste of it and you are to give people a glimpse of it. Salt and light on the earth as we await the unification 
of all things, which is where all of this is going. Okay. Now, we spent some time there, and I hope that was a helpful illustration, because if you can have that in your mind, that this merging of God's space and human space, and we are representatives of that as the body of Christ, now that Christ has ascended, you're going to understand so much more what Jesus is saying here. And so all there is really left for us to do this morning is talk more specifically about those two metaphors, salt and light, and then apply it to our lives. So let's start with salt. I've got a little salt with me here today, a little salt shaker. Of course, you know how this works. I'm going to actually just put a little bit right here and grind it out. Now, salt, as we already saw in the, the video, Carrie and Emily's video earlier, salt has a lot of uses. It makes you thirsty. It, it enhances the flavor. You know what salt was primarily used for in the ancient days? It's a preservative. Salt was primarily a preservative. Think about life before refrigeration. Think about how, how would people, you know, you'd work so hard to hunt down an animal and kill an animal and you want to feed your family with it. You've got to protect it from other wild predators, but not only that, you've got to protect it from invisible bacteria, which they didn't understand fully at that time. They just knew that if meat would spoil and you would eat it, you'd get sick or die. And so what they learned to do, and this predates Jesus' time by a long time. I mean, this goes back to the ancient Egyptians at least. Would they, would, they would coat it with salt because they discovered that if you put salt on meat, it would slow down that growth of that bacteria and it would preserve it. It would dry it out and it would keep it. So Jesus is saying, you're the salt of the earth. In other words, your, your, your purpose is to give flavor to the world, to, to bring joy and flourishing to the things, the hard parts, the bland parts of earth, and your purpose is to preserve the decay, to slow down the moral decay and the decline of the society around you. You are to represent the kingdom of God on the earth as salt and light. It was a flavoring and it was a preservative. Now, I want you to think about this. I had to do a little research on salt. I don't know that much about, you know, elements and all these kinds of things. Did you know that without salt, you couldn't live? Somebody, somebody much younger than me knew this. Like I heard a young voice shout that out. I did not know that, okay? I, you know, in my context, I'm just hearing about my doctor telling me I've got too much sodium in my diet, and, and a lot of us do. But what's also equally true is if you don't have any sodium or enough sodium in your diet, you cannot survive. You can't live. That's how important salt is. So one of the things that Jesus is telling this ragtag group of men and women that are following him is you're critically important on this earth. That's remarkable. I kind of picture them hearing these words and looking over their shoulder and saying, did a group of really important people come in behind us while Jesus was teaching and we didn't notice them? You know, who's he, is he talking to us? We're the, we're the salt of the earth. We're this critical, important, wonderful, beautiful, life-enhancing element. Now, if you notice the verses, and, and let's put them back on the screen if we can, verse 13, there is a condition on God's desire to use them as the salt of the earth. He says, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, the um, scientists in the room, you're thinking, oh, salt can't technically lose its saltiness. You're correct. Sodium chloride is actually a very stable element. It can't really lose its saltiness, but let me tell you what was going on. Back in that day, their salt, so to speak, was more of a mixture. 
And it almost certainly came from the Dead Sea, which is a very salty area. And so they would gather up this white, salty powder, but it wasn't just sodium chloride in there. There are all kinds of other sediments and other things. And so if your salt got too diluted with other things, you know, dirt and other sediments, it would not be as salty anymore. And it would essentially be worthless. It wouldn't serve its purpose as a, a flavor enhancer and as a preservative. And so it seems to be that Jesus is saying this, the most important characteristic of salt is its distinctiveness. And that's really true, isn't it? Nothing is like salt. I mean, how do you describe salt? You can't even describe it with any word other than salty. It's so distinctive. Um, you know, they, they used potato chips and the, you know, the, the, the nasty potato chip, which was really funny. But I thought of um, mashed potatoes. Now, I'm the mashed potato maker in my family. And um, I, I'm going to brag a little bit because I, I think my mashed potatoes are really good. I got it from my grandma, my mom's side. Uh, not a secret recipe, but you know what the secret is? You got to put a lot of salt. You know, you, if you put the right amount of salt, the flavor of that potato all of a sudden just pops. And so I'm in there, you know, I'm mixing it up and I put some salt in, you know, try a little bit. So, no, that's not right. You put some more salt in. And then at some point, all of a sudden it's like, oh, that's it. That's it. Salt is so distinctive. Salt is, is, there's nothing else like it. And what Jesus is saying is, if you stop being distinct from the world, if, if you get diluted by all the other stuff, if you, if you stop being unique and distinctive as a people of God, uniquely called, uniquely representative of the kingdom, that purple overlap in the center of our illustration, then you can't go about the vocation that I've called you to. Jesus is saying, how can you be a foretaste of the coming kingdom if you're not distinct from the broken systems and prejudices and power struggles of the world around you. So he's saying, you're the salt of the earth, so you must stay distinct from it, from the earth. Stay distinct. That, I think, is the big idea of this first metaphor. Stay distinct. Let me put this away. He goes to metaphor number two. Let's put verses 14 through 16 on the screen if we can. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. It gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Like salt, light is indispensable for life on this planet. Now, a little camp camping lantern that I'm going to turn on here. I think it actually goes... Okay, now, yeah, that's going to that's gonna drive me nuts. Okay, how about that? That's good right there. That's too bright. Now, other than some very strange animals that are in the deep, deep, deep part of the ocean, as far as I'm aware, every living creature on this planet has to have light of some form to survive, to thrive. And so Jesus is saying, you're a little bit like that. You matter that much. You're the light of the world. Now, we know because we've read the whole Bible, who's the ultimate light of the world? Yeah, God is. Thank you. Jesus himself. In fact, John's going to use that as a major theme all throughout John's gospel, the light of the world. Interestingly, that comes straight from Isaiah. When Isaiah is saying the nation of Israel is like a light to the Gentiles, a light to the world. Um, I don't think I can keep doing that. 
Uh, so I'm going to put it back on in a minute. Now, what Jesus is essentially saying in the second metaphor is, I have something I, I need you to show people. You're going to be like a light to illuminate the darkness so that they can see something important. So not only do they need a taste of the kingdom, the salt, they need to see it visibly expressed, the light. Because when people actually see the rule of God, the reign of God, embodied by a community of beatitude type people, it's compelling. It's beautiful. It's attractive. It, it, there's nothing else like it. It, it. it draws people in. It's warm. It's inviting. It's compelling because Jesus is at the center of that kind of life. Now, the salt metaphor came with a condition. Salt can't lose its saltiness. The light metaphor comes with a condition as well. Let's put verse 16 back on the screen. Um, there are a couple of verses surrounding it's fine too. We'll get those back on the screen. Let your light, no, actually verse 15. Back up one, I got that wrong. What Jesus is going to say is, he said, listen, nobody lights a lamp, there it is, verse 15, and puts it under a basket, but rather on a stand it gives light to the whole house. Okay, so let's see what we can do here. I'm gonna put this baby on its highest blindingest brightness. I went too much. There it is right there. Okay, got this basket up here and I can make this thing disappear essentially just by covering it up. Now that light just essentially goes away. Okay. Now back in these days, they didn't have these battery powered LED lamps. You know, these were flames. These were little lanterns that they would have and they would light it. And they didn't have a power switch. You could power your house. Their whole um, evening existence is sort of speak, their ability to walk through the house without tripping, their ability to, you know, cook some things if they needed some food, depended on flame, depended on these lanterns, these lamps that they would light. You would never light a lamp and spend all the money it takes for the oil and all the effort and then put it under a lantern, I mean, a, a basket. It would probably extinguish the flame for one. It might burn the basket, but more importantly, it would defeat the purpose of it. Jesus is saying, don't do that. A light is meant to be shining. In fact, not just shining, but lifted up. He goes, no, nobody would do that. So, so let your light shine, raise it high. And the way that we're called to do that is through what Jesus describes as good works. Good works. Now, in this context, good works is not our religious duty stuff. It's not um, even moral purity, although it would have an element of that, but it's not primarily what Jesus is talking about. In this context, good works is when we go out in the world and get our hands dirty representing the kingdom of God. Good works are when we do acts of justice and mercies, the Bible talks about. Hospitality, peacemaking. These kind of good works give people a tiny glimpse of what the whole world will look like when Jesus is on the throne. I want to read you this quote by D.A. Carson. You may recognize his name. He's an outstanding Bible scholar for many, many years. He says this, and these are heavy words, and I thought about them, and I thought, I think he's right, and, and yet this is sad. For a variety of reasons, Christians have lost this sense of witness and are slow to return to it. 
But in better days in other lands, the faithful and divinely empowered proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ so transformed men that they in turn became the light of the world. And he references this verse, Matthew 5, 14. Prison reform, medical care, abolition of slavery, abolition of child labor, establishment of orphanages, reform of the penal code. In all these areas, the followers of Jesus spearheaded the drive for righteousness. The darkness was alleviated. And this, I submit, has always been the pattern when professing Christians have been less concerned with personal prestige and more concerned with the norms of the kingdom. This is what Jesus is calling us, to be less concerned with personal prestige. And I would add comfort and security and these things that we all long for and need and crave and more concerned with the norms of the kingdom. In other words, more concerned with taking Jesus' life and the values of of justice and righteousness and peace and wholeness and all those things that are found only in Jesus Christ and making them visible to people on the earth because it's a world of darkness and only getting darker. So let's put the two metaphors together, salt and light. So Jesus is saying as salt, Christians must be distinct from the world. As light, Christians must be visible in it. I want you to think about those two things. It's the juxtaposition of those that really has power. As salt, Christians must be distinct from the world. As light, Christians must be visible in it. This is our place, according to Jesus. And so I think these two metaphors correct two errors that I know that, that, that I am seeing in the church right now. And, and I mean the church at large, and I mean our own church. And, and even in my own heart, I want to just unpack these as I wrap up. So the, the first error that, that I think, as we apply this to our own lives, that I, I think we're wrestling with, is I think we have largely lost our distinctiveness. We have largely lost our saltiness. You know, when I, I read the word, you know, if, if salt loses its saltiness, how can the saltiness be restored? It's good for nothing. I, I just feel this conviction on my heart as I kind of look around at my own life and I look around at our body and I look around at the, the church at large. Another way to put it is, I think we may be failing to offer our, our thirsty community an alternative way of life that's compelling and attractive. This is why I'm so excited about our vision and our mission to help people find wholehearted life in Jesus, help people find exactly what they're thirsting for. Now, it seems to me that it's easy for us to be kind of so influenced by the cultural struggle around us that we have lost the power to be distinct from it. And and this is so important. And and I'm, I'm just going to go here, begin to step on some toes maybe in the way, but I, I hope you hear my heart in this, is to represent accurately and, and wholeheartedly the words of Jesus. I, I think our, our culture has kind of gone into a self-destructive dualism right now. The pattern of our world is you're either this or that. You're either liberal or conservative. You're either pro this or anti that. You're either for individual freedom or you're for social justice. You're either for Trump or you're never Trump. You're either a mask wearer or you're a mask 
hater. And, you know, you could go all back and forth. It's just like you just feel this just divide and split across all kinds of lines. Now, here's where it gets hard is, is how do we engage a, a culture that's just splitting in this binary kind of fashion? Here's what I think Jesus might say to us. He would remind us, number one, you're citizens of an alternative kingdom. And, and we must somehow be distinct from the patterns of the world. We can't look just like this or just like that. Like we, we can't so easily fall into these categories, these patterns. Jesus came in a sense to break the patterns. He, he was not able to be categorized easily in the cultural schisms of his day. He didn't fit those categories and he still doesn't fit our categories so easily. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. We must give a third way and represent an alternative kingdom, something different, something full of life. And could do a whole series on what that might look like. We're going to see a lot of it in the Sermon on the Mount. Second, second error that I just feel compelled to just share from my heart. I think in our instinct sometimes to stay clean from the world, I think we have started retreating from it. This is the other side of the coin. So on the one hand, you've, you've got to be distinct. On the other hand, you've got to be in. Now, when Jesus said, you know, you'd never hide a light under a basket, I think in some ways that's exactly what some of us, many of us, myself included, have done too much. We've, we've sort of retreated into our own Christian enclaves and developed our own Christian systems and our own Christian clubs and our own Christian forms of everything. And not all of that is wrong or bad and many, much of it is necessary and needed. But let me just say, share this and just start wrapping this up. Our world needs the good works of the kingdom of God. We need Christian lawyers engaging issues of justice. We need Christian medical providers caring for the sick. We need Christian teachers in our public schools, in our private schools, in all kinds of schools. We need Christian artists producing art that embodies the values of God's kingdom. We need Christian social workers looking out for those who slip through the cracks. We need Christians in every level and sphere of our society deeply engaged in the world in order to show anyone who takes notice what it looks like when God's kingdom is arriving. In the same way, Jesus said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So I want to share with you the big idea of this passage and then we're gonna have some time to reflect on it. And the band's coming out just to give us a, a little bit of, um, of an opportunity for us to just spend some time asking the Spirit, what do I do with this? What does it mean for me to be salt, for me to be light? What about us as a collective? What about us as a community? These are important questions. The big idea of our text is this. Jesus calls us to offer the world a taste and a glimpse of the coming kingdom of God. To do, to do that, we must become an alternative community of Jesus-shaped people 
who engage the culture around us in distinct and visible ways. Now, we can't do this without looking to Jesus. He's the true salt of the earth. He's the true light of the world. And only through faith in Jesus and by the power of the spirit of Christ in us can we grow to be who he calls us to be. So here's the question I want you to reflect on just for a couple of minutes this morning. We'll put it on the screen. Where does the world need salt and light right now? And how can you, through following Jesus, provide it? Let's spend a couple of minutes reflecting on this. Mm -hmm.